feel like I'm at home in our church. We have, uh, I have to wear a suntan lotion at home for all the lights. But that hinders me from seeing you. I, I am one of those unusual creatures. I don't notice everybody in the congregation. I only notice the people who are listening. <laughs> I really do. My wife will say, well, did you, did you see so-and-so do so? I said, no, I didn't see that. They, well, they carried him out the back. He had a heart attack. <laughs> I have that kind of influence on people. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, I just... I hone in. If you're listening to me, you really do help me preach because there's nothing like talking to somebody and they just stand there, you know, like they're not even looking at you or not getting paying attention. And so I just, uh, I want to thank you. I want my wife to stand. She is the beauty part of our family and all the kids are beautiful. This is Bobby. We, uh, we're coming up on our 60th anniversary and uh, she said she's thinking about whether or not she wants to sign on for 60 more. But uh, we'll see. Well, it is a pleasure. My wife and I have been here before. Back in the uh, years gone by, after this building was built, we were here in a conference with the Mega, Meco, Mega Metro pastors all over the country. And we met here, and we had times of renewal and commitment and refreshment and encourage each other. Because we are here because God put us here. You're here because God put you here. You're here at this generation of time, this period of time, which is one of the hardest in the history of the world. We're watching and we're seeing the very fiber of our nation is crumbling beneath us. I heard a comment the other day that I totally agree with. They said, you know, we have more people in our country apparently right now. We have more people who relish doing wrong. They, they like to do what's wrong. They plan to do what's wrong. It's not like it was many years ago when people were doing their dead-level best to be as good as they could be, and we struggle with sin. Everybody does. And, and yet we, we had a bent toward doing what's right. There's a bent toward doing what's wrong. And many of these people are in places of responsibility and places of influence, and the church has to make up its mind, are we going to say anything about this or not? Because my job as a pastor in the same church for 40 years, I mean, anybody, any church you put up with a pastor for 40 years has got to be complimented. <laughs> but I will tell you this, any pastor that will stay in a church for 40 years needs to be complimented. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not easy. We are wilderness travelers. We are in a wilderness down here. And some of you are going through wilderness times in your own life. Wilderness time is when God takes you through a hard patch in life. Sometimes it's the loss of somebody you really need in your life, you love. And it seems like it just pours on. Something else comes up. Your health goes bad. And some of you, I don't know you, but some of you are going through some tough times right now in your life. Your church is going through a hard time right now. You're in wilderness travel, but notice how God does things, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment. The Old Testament was sent to us so we will know the history, what the background is of all that God has brought around. The reason the modernists today cannot understand the Bible and they don't want to hear the Bible, they stand and lay looking at a big apple tree 
And they believe that the limbs of the apple tree and the apples on the apple tree exist, but the trunk and the roots don't. You've done away with all the moorings. Well, let me tell you something. Nothing is going to grow like that. One of the tests of whether you want to be in some kind of involvement in our country today, whether you're on a political side or whatever, that's not my business, but I do teach our people as best I know how. God will not bless what will not work. God's very sensible. If it works, it's because he works it. But he is not going to bless socialism. He told it, told all that in the Bible. And I sometimes offend people. I, I don't mean to come here and offend you. In fact, I feel honored to be here today. Uh, but I, I didn't get saved until I was almost 29 years of age. And I came to understand from being a skeptic that the Bible is either the Bible or it's not the Bible, and it's the Word of God. And I had to make a decision one day. I'm either continue to be a skeptic. I can continue to be a skeptic and question everything there is about anything that's good. Or I can believe that this Bible is the Word of the living God. He has a son named Jesus who is the only hope for anybody in the entire world and is the only hope anybody will ever have. And he is represented here today by the invisible but invincible Holy Spirit of God. And if he does not speak to you, I will not be able to speak to you. My words are based on the Bible. In fact, we're going to get into that straight down the line. But you're going through an injury time. In 1978, when my wife and I moved, she didn't like to move there. We lived on the Indian River near Cocoa Beach and down in First Baptist Church, Merritt Island. I followed Adrian Rogers there. We had a great time down there. It's kind of hard to move from there to Huntsville, Alabama. I'm just telling you. Or to Albuquerque, New Mexico, for that matter. But anyway, we moved we came to a church that was the fastest growing church in the state of Alabama up until a few years before that. And all of a sudden, they ran into a wilderness experience and it just buckled them. It didn't splinter the church. It squished the church. It just tore it all to pieces. And they couldn't get anybody to come be the pastor. 28 months, they searched for a pastor and gave up and called me. They said, you're as near to nothing as we can know. No. They, they called me because I really knew that if you go back to the Bible, God will straighten things out for you. But he won't if you intend to stay mad or if you tend to stay in control. I have counseled thousands of people as a therapist, as a Christian therapist over the years and I have seen marriage after marriage collapse because both people had to win. And I just tell them right off the front, if you have as one of your criteria that you have to win in this disagreement or whatever's going on in your life, if you have to win, then I can't help you. Because if you are not willing to humble yourself and let God win, you're not going to make it. And you're not going to make it as a church, and we're not going to make it as a church 
We have a son lives down in Florida. <laughs> when he was just a little tyke, he was about four or five years of age, we were living down in Meridale. He had a good friend named Mark. And they were competitors, and they ran. One day I came in from the office. Preachers down there worked all week, come in from the office. And so I came in, and he got up off the sofa in the Florida room, and he came over and said, Dad, look what Mark did to me. And he raised his little bangs up, and there was a big old ugly knot. Most of our children have had those knots. You remember? Ugly little knots up there. He said, what the hell? He said, we, we were running, and we ran into each other. And Daddy, he nearly knocked Jesus out of my heart. <laughs> Isn't it sad? that things happen in your church and in your family that almost knock Jesus out of your heart. I'm so glad Jesus will never leave us. How dark it gets, how bad the wilderness, how long it is, doesn't make any difference as long as Jesus is there. I preached a series of messages sometime back entitled, Jesus is all I need. You know that's true? We're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. But Jesus is going to be with us. He's going to take us home. He's going to take our families home. But then, as I was preaching, this series, or planning this series, I got to thinking, there's something missing here. I mean, in, in my brain up here, I just... Had a checkup, too, just to be sure. But what I just said then needs to become something that you repeat to yourself day after day. No matter what comes, all I need is Jesus. We lost our son in the prime of his life, a little eight-month-old baby girl. I'm That'll wipe you out. But the only person we really needed, the only one who could really do anything about our situation, and the only one who can do anything about our sin problem, the only one who can do anything about helping us with our families as they grow and develop in this crazy world that we have, the only thing we have to understand is Jesus is really all I need. And we come to church today. We didn't come here today just to start another week. We came here because we need to meet together with the same Jesus who loves you just as much as he loves me and loves the pagan outside just as much as he loves the Christian on the inside. And this church has some business that's not finished yet. God put you in Albuquerque, New Mexico because he wanted you in Albuquerque. He put us in Huntsville, Alabama. We don't have to have a satellite ministry in Tanzania somewhere, but we have missionaries out there. But I'm just telling you, Jesus will always be all you need. But here's the caveat to that. That will never happen until we finally arrive at that place that we can honestly say, Jesus is all I want. Now, that is an enormous step. Jesus is all I want to love him. 
to know that he is not a figment of our imagination, but he dwells in our hearts. He lives in our lives right where you're sitting. He lives in there. He, he didn't come to stay for a few days. He dwells permanently, and we're with him now. He is with us now, but soon we will be with him. And he is in this place, and he celebrates when we're willing to forgive one another. He celebrates when we're willing to humble ourselves and say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. I want to show you something, and I'm going to have to do this in a hurry because I see a little clock up here says I only have an hour and 15 minutes left. <laughs> so I want to do something for you that, that I, I would recommend to all pastors, and that is study the Bible, get all you can out of it, and then come tell the people on Sunday morning what you found out that week. I'm going to take you to Numbers chapter 16. And I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the language of victory. Now, we're having a lot of defeats right now. I mean, we go to bed at night wondering what's going to happen in Iran. And by the way, behind the scenes in Iran, they're one of the strongest revivals taking place that there is in the world. The people with the Farsi religion, uh, the background, and, and that speak Farsi are seeing how awful the negative uh, things that are going on in the Muslim world, and those people are turning and repenting of their sins and coming to Jesus Christ, and you may be one of the church that funds the little chips that we get in over there, and they put them in their phones, they put their phone to somebody else's phone, and they got a copy of the Bible in their own language, and they've got uh, information. I mean, that little bitty chip, that tiny little chip carries a mega library for people who want to grow in the grace of God or be saved. And so God's doing some good things, some wonderful things uh, throughout the world. And yet there are a lot of negative things going on, a lot of people beaten down. So I want to ask you a simple question. Now, you have to understand this, and I'm not trying to be prejudiced in any way, but I didn't grow up in Alabama. But we moved to Alabama. We've been living in Alabama a long time. In Alabama, football is not football. Football is everything. <laughs> if you go to Auburn University, you're, you're not welcome. You're not welcome in the average Baptist church. Now, if you're up our way, because we have a lot of engineers, we have a, quite a few Auburn people. Our daughter fell into sin, went to Auburn. But anyway, <laughs> or you on the other side, you got the elephant going, you know. Ate in the elephant restaurant here yesterday. Ate like an elephant, too. But anyway, the language of victory. Let me just give it to you, and then I will show you in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, two things. Number one, you ready? The language of victory is prayer and praise. You read all about the transition they had to go through from Egypt to getting to the Holy Land, and you'll find out every time they got out there and really were thankful to the Lord and were blessing his name and they worshiped him, God came through at Jericho and the other places. I mean, 
every time they were right with God and they were praising the Lord and they were praying, God, give us wisdom and give us guidance. And old Moses has fallen on his face before the Lord with Aaron. When they did that, they always had victory in their life. The New Testament tells us the verse, it doesn't mean we don't have problems, but we have victory over the problem. You see, no matter how bad it gets, Jesus is still going to be there. And he is all we need, and now he's all we want. That changes things for us as an individual and for a church. But now there's the language of defeat. The language of defeat is more easily seen in the Old Testament than it is uh, in some places uh, in the New Testament. But number one is the language of defeat is criticizing and complaining. It comes under the head of murmuring. And the people murmured, and they murmured. And when they did, tragic things happened. Numbers chapter 16, verse by verse. We're going to have a running commentary here. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, traced him back to the Levites, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, they took some men. Now, here's what's happening. They don't like the way Moses is leading. And so they're going to get these people together, and they're going to tell Moses that uh, he's not doing a good job. In fact, they can do a better job. Now, who are these guys? Interesting thing is that these are the most elite of the Levites. They're not part of Aaron's priestly line but they are the ones who, when they move the tabernacle from one place to the other by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, when they traveled, they always, these men came in. They were the most trusted and holiest men in all the congregation of the people, and they were allowed to put up the candlesticks and to put up the bread, the show bread, and to put up the little altar in there where they offered incense to the Lord. They were the only ones trusted to do that. They were right next to Moses and Aaron. I mean, there's nowhere else to go up there. So somehow, somehow down the line, these fellas got the idea that, you know, everybody is equal. Well, in some ways we are, but not in authority. God designated and delegated the authority of leadership for the people of Israel to a man by the name of Moses. And he had his brother Aaron come along and Miriam. And even they got crossways at one time, caused some problems. But these men are not satisfied with their role. They want to have more control. And God set it up the other way. So look what he says. He says, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation. What if 250 leaders of a congregation of a church like yours or a church like ours came to me to tell me that they didn't like what I was doing? I tell them, you didn't call me here. I, I was called here by God, so I'll talk to him about that. But the truth of the matter is, God's order is being challenged. So here's what's happening. These people are rebelling against God. Remember what the Bible says about rebellion? It says it's the same thing as witchcraft and demon worship. It's based on unbelief because we don't trust God or know him very well. 
and it carries along with it an arrogant attitude. And that's dangerous, dangerous territory. And so he said they brought them from all the congregation, men of renown. These are well-known people. These are not just nobodies. I mean, these are the chief people in the church. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy. Everybody is equal. Nothing works like that. I'm just telling you. We say all men are equal. If you get everybody, give everybody. Uh, well, let's say we did it financially. Let's say we decided in our country that we will make everybody equal financially. That's called egalitarianism. You make a million dollars a year, then we're going to come get your $900,000 a year, and we're going to pass it out so everybody else has $100,000, and you can live on $100,000. That is not going to work with God. Parable of the talents. Left one guy with $500,000, and the other one with $200,000, and the other one $100,000. When he comes back, what does he do? He takes what the guy on $100,000 had and takes it away from him because he didn't do anything with it. And he gives it to the guy who made the most money. With the, what is that egalitarianism? No. It's capitalism, if you want to call it that. But I mean, it, it means that God has a way of doing things that he does not really care whether we like it or not. You have to know, is it going to work? Is it going to help? When my children and grandchildren come to the place where they need to get an education, am I going to be able to pull that off because I worked harder than the next guy or do I just float along and let the government try to pay for all of that? Most everything the government does is goofed up anyway. It's because we are, the government is not in charge. God's in charge, people. I'm telling you, he's still in charge and as we go through this period of time we're going through with all the things that are being said and the things that are done, you go to bed at night with a heavy heart and you just want to get on your knees and say, God, would you just wipe out this whole deal and start over again? Build us an ark or something. <laughs> but you see, that's not right. I'm complaining. Language of defeat. I'm criticizing what people are doing. I'm not really doing that on purpose for you. I'm telling you, the preachers in this country need to tell the people what the Bible says because what the Bible says is going to work. And so I pray now. I, I used to be so upset with those people that get out there and do all these crazy things. But now then, when they get up there, I feel sorry for them. I, I pray because I'm afraid they have a reprobate mind. And there's no turning back when it comes to that. But look at this text with us. I don't even know what. Oh, it says it's 11 minutes after 10. Is that correct? Or is this clock stopped? Is that right? Go, turn it the other way. Turn it back. Oh, okay, excuse me. I'm just going to go with you, Art. I've got an hour. No, I don't have an hour. But anyway, let, let, me, let me just give you give you some tidbits of information on how God does to you. Look at this. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, even though it's on a very negative subject. So it says in verse 4, So when Moses heard it, when he heard what they were doing, he fell on his face. What is the language of victory? Prayer, 
and praise. Oh, Moses has been around the block a few times. And he knew you don't go out here and just try to manhandle this. You get on your face before the one who's in charge and has the power to do something about it. And he spoke to Korah and all the company, confronted them. He said, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is the one who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take your censers. These are the little uh, things with the stems on them. They go in and put the uh, incense on the fire and they tear the little coals around. They, they all had those. He said, all of you guys get your stuff and come. We're going to have a contest before the Lord. Kind of like Baal was later on in front of with Elijah. And uh, I'm going to skip over into uh, verse 24. It says, speak to the congregation. God brings them out there saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, depart now from the tents of these men. They came out, and they told God what God was going to do. And God said, get away from those people with their wives, their sons, their little children. See, our sins damage so many people, so many other generations. And Moses said, by this, you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like men, normal men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now, if it comes to pass, as he finished, now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all those words that the ground split apart like an earthquake, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men, with Korah and with all the goods, so they, they and all those with them went down alive into the pit, <laughs> the, the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Now hang with me. Then all Israel who were around them fled at the, their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 prominent men. <clears throat> then the Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, priest, to pick up the censers that were belonged to these guys out of the blaze for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. The censors of these men who sinned against their own souls, our sin, we sin against our own souls, our own damage. Let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy. And they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. And that is that you need to follow God's authority. So Eliezer prayed, the priest did that, verse 40, to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near the offer incense before the Lord. In fact, they were different. Aaron and Moses were different because God delegated that authority to them. 
On the next day, now this shows you how sin makes you not think clearly. I would use the word S-T-U, but I won't use that because I know you teach your children not to say that word. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained. Oh, my soul. Can you believe that? I mean, God opens the earth, swallows up all these people, sends fire down, and toasts all these guys under the judgment of the of the power of God's holiness. And then the people go home and they murmur apparently in their tents and they come back the next day and they're complaining and criticizing again. Now look what they say. It shows you how sin does dumb you down. And he said, you have killed the people of the Lord. They're saying to Moses, you have killed the people of the Lord. And I don't know about you. I, I think, I really think I have... Still some common sense. If I see somebody that does that to their enemies that have made themselves enemies, I don't think I'm going to come and blame them for it the next day. I mean, it's kind of like if you're going to, if you're going to pick on somebody, pick on some little wimp somewhere, and then you'll find out he's probably taking karate and knock your chin off. You know what I mean? Why, why would you go? Why? Because sin numbs your brain. It, it, affects the, it, it affects the hardware of the brain and the software of the mind. And I'm just telling you, that's the reason people give out on tangents and go away. It's, 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 a, it, it's just a sign of defeat because we keep on, we're, we're rebelling against God and you can't win that. I'm not going to read the rest of that, but the truth of the matter is that a plague broke out. Thousands of them died because of their sin. And God, I mean, Moses said to Aaron, oh, Aaron hadn't been the most obedient fellow up to this time. He said, go and take fire among the people. And he did. He went out and he started burning incense. And it says, and this is the verse of scripture. I want you to look at verse 48 because this, if you're a member of this church, this is about you, okay? You can underscore this one. This is your verse. It says, and he stood, that is, Aaron ran out there as fast as he could, and the people were dying. Little children were dying. And he came to the place where the last person had died, and he stood right where it was. If God did not intervene in grace, Aaron would be the next man to die. He's standing in the gap. But look what happens. And he stood between the dead and the living. This guy died because of the rebellion of the people. Aaron stood there. And I imagine he expected to be struck by God to die. See, people, we have to get desperate sometime to accomplish the things of God. We have to be willing to give up whatever it is, maybe even our own lives. But then he turned and he looked. Maybe there was a little eight-year-old girl and she would have been the next one to die. Aaron stopped it by faith in God. So look what he says. And he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. We're in a world that is really goofed up. 
Never needed a church more than it needs it now. But that church has to believe the Bible. Now, I see this thing is stuck up here. I'm, I'm probably going a little long here, but I want to I want to ask you to turn to another verse of Scripture. It's over in the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians, you know, it's a happy church. This is a joyful church. You don't read about joy, how God meets all our needs and all that. You read Philippians. I mean, the book of Philippians ought to be about worn out in our Bibles. And by the way, I, I could have sent the Scripture here, but I, I get kind of... I, I have to talk to you. I can't talk and turn around and do that. I'm handicapped in that. So anyway, we get over here into the book of Philippians. And we have this theory that prayer and praise is the language for victory. You want to turn to victory. You want to see God take you beyond the wilderness, and he will. It may not happen immediately, but it's going to happen. But we got to quit dwelling on the negative side. But listen to what Paul says to the churches, to one of the meekest and mildest churches in the world. He's talking to Philippi, and he tells us what is most likely to stop a church from doing what God has ultimately called it to do all the way till Jesus comes back. What is going to break a family down? What's going to stop you and me from staying passionately following the Lord Jesus Christ? It's really a surprise. It's not adultery, although adultery is a bad sin. It's not hate, although hate is like murder. It's not that, well, I'll just read it to you. It's in verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul is addressing the church. Now listen, listen, listen closely now because this is God talking and not me. He said, do all things. He's talking to the church. What things? Evangelism is a thing. Teaching people to become disciples of Jesus. Helping people that are hurting. Ministering to the people in the community. Telling people how much Jesus loves them. That's all the stuff we do at church. I mean, all the jobs that we have in our church Everything has to function as part of the body. And he says, do all things without complaining and disputing or criticizing and arguing. Now, that's exactly what we just read about in the Old Testament. Bible says those stories are in there as an example of how God works. And then now we find the proclamation of it over in the New Testament. And he says, don't be griping and bellyaching and all that. Get beyond that. And I'm not talking about what you may be going through. Now, I'm talking about what you as an individual may be going through in your own heart and your family. I'm going to let you go in just a second. Not, excuse me, not a second. <laughs> Pastoral second. <laughs> My wife and I have been going through a wilderness. Then everything seemed like it would happen. We had a little granddaughter we reared, had a little baby, almost lost her and the baby. A little baby had born in one pound, two ounces. And so we've been running back and forth to Birmingham where she's a nurse. It was a hard time. We've been having a, it's difficult 
to retire from a church when you've been kind of the father of the church for all those years, 40 years. I mean, I've got people in our church, they never had another pastor. They don't know whether I did any good or not. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet, God is blessed. And so we, we have this going on, and we got this, we prayed about it. We, we, come, we want to downsize. We, we buy uh, some land, and we build a house that's like half the size of what we had. And the builder uh, took advantage of us. I mean, here we're older people. We've never, I mean, I've never built a house before. My wife, she probably could, but she hasn't done that either. And this person took advantage of us so that when we got through building the house, there were still about $60,000 worth of corrections that needed to be made. That's the reason I came to preach. To, you know, I told God a long time ago, I don't ever want to preach for money. But it has dawned on me that every time we turn around, something negative is happening. And then I got sick. I had started having kidney stones, one right after the other. If you've never had a kidney stone, I would loan you a kidney stone. You won't ever want another kidney stone. And I just got out of the hospital the other day, and I didn't know if I'd be strong enough to come here and preach. But every time I get in a situation like that, God gives me the strength to do whatever it is. He just blessed me in that way. And so I'm just, I'm happy to be anywhere, but I'm glad to be here. But we brought those three items. We, in, in, our, in our den, at the end of the day, looking at all the negative things that are going on. And this sermon, I prepared this sermon for our people back in 1978. And I thought, you know, maybe the Hoffmantown Church could profit by a little study on this as individuals. And I got under conviction that God didn't want me to gripe about that builder anymore. He didn't want to gripe about my health. I'm not supposed to be griping about the country. I'm going to take all those things and put them before the Lord. And I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When I try to go to bed at night and I can't go to sleep, I just, my wife, she's kind of a, stays up later than me. I, I cut the things off the vacuum cleaner so she couldn't make any noise so I could sleep. But as I, as I began to pray, I, it dawned on me, the devil can't stand the name of Jesus. Neither can demons. They, they can't stand. I, I, I don't even think, I don't think there's anything more powerful in the whole world than the name of Jesus. I mean, if you took Jesus out of the economy, out of the thing, book of Colossians says the whole world is going down to you. So I just started kind of humming under my breath, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about your name. Jesus, 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 you are always the same. And you know what? The devil can't get any negative ideas. I mean, he, he can't bother me anymore. I mean, I, I think if somebody's singing it now, I can't sing like maybe some of you can sing, but it's only God listening anyway, and he's kind. 
But I'm just telling you, we need to understand that the battle is in here. And so if we're going to fight the battle in here, we're going to have to let the Holy Spirit of God teach us. Take more time in the Word of God. Read God's Word. I know you had somebody visit your church some time ago, and the preacher preached 35 minutes or something, and they got mad. I hope you came back anyway. Maybe you're here today. You repented of your sin, and you got right. But I'm sorry I've taken a little bit of your time. But I just have a heart for you as a church. I've, I've known about you. But I can tell you, this is not a time for one of our churches that have been red-letter churches to have to pull off the side of the road to fix a blowout. It's time for people to get on their face before God individually and find out that Jesus is all we want. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of proclaiming your word today. I thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you, Lord, that it's a light to our path. It shows us which direction to take. And God, that it is your word. And your word is the only foundation we have from which we gather faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I pray that you'll bless what I've tried to share today to encourage the faith of a believer. And Lord, if there's somebody here today who's never really settled the issues of who's in charge of their life, well, we invited a number of people to come today who may need to know you. I pray that you would speak to that person and that they would be willing to humble themselves and admit that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you're ready to forgive their sins and they would repent and trust in you right now. And if they need help doing that, I pray that you'll give them the courage to step out from where they are and come to the altar. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together. And I want to invite you on behalf of this congregation. If you live in this community and you're looking for a church where you can grow in the grace of the Lord and go through some of those old wildernesses and find out that everybody goes through wilderness. You remember when Moses brought the, brought the people out of Egypt? He didn't take them to paradise. He took them to a wilderness so they could pay special attention to him. And we need that too. I pray God will bless you wherever you are, whatever you're going through right now, because that's just the way he is. If you need to come as a member of this church, maybe you just need to come down here to the altar and say, God, I heard what you said and I need some help. Would you guide me? Or maybe you are visiting and you want to become a part of the church. Would you just leave wherever you are and come down and speak to one of these people in the front? Would you do that right now while we sing? Let's join in singing. The choir will lead us. Or the, they're back there, yeah. Okay, will you come? If God spoke to you, why wouldn't you do what he told you to do? Will you do it right now? Come on. All we need is to be 
Jackson being here today. Amen. Thank you. Love you very much. That concludes our service for the day. I want to thank you for being here today and uh, bless the rest of your day. Okay. Amen.